I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We just wrapped um, such a good interview with Vani Hari, who is also known as the food babe. She's a revolutionary food activist, a New York Times bestselling author, and was named one of the most influential people on the internet by Time Magazine. She started foodbabe.com to spread information about what is really in the American food supply, and she teaches people how to make the right purchasing decisions at the grocery store, how to live an organic lifestyle, and how to travel healthfully around the world. And she has been featured everywhere and influenced how major food giants like Kraft, General Mills, Subway, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, and Starbucks create their products, steering them towards more healthful policies. She has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and more, and has appeared on Good Morning America, CBS News, NBC News, Fox News, The Dr. Oz Show, The Doctor Show, CNN, and now The Kate and Mike Show. She's also the founder of Truvani, which is a startup offering real food without added chemicals, products without toxins, and labels without lies. And she is also a mama, and she is also awesome. What did we talk about? You got to talk into the microphone. You, you like to talk to me away from the microphone. Okay. So that's normal human relating. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Please don't normal human relate. Uh, we talked about our book that just came out. It's dropping today. Feeding you lies, how to unravel the food industry's playbook and reclaim your health. Highly recommend buying this. There, I don't highly, just buy it. Like you just buy it. It took me four days to read or three days to read. I read it pretty quickly. And it is a science, I don't even, it's like a research book on corruption with inside giant food industries. For those of you who don't know. She's essentially an investigative she reporter. Is, she's an investigative reporter. Like the big companies are all giant conglomerates that have combounded together and it's about the bottom line, right? It's about looking at the profits over health and people. This goes on in political system. This goes on in big pharma, the alcohol and beverage, which we just learned about a very interesting fact about who controls the alcohol companies. So which really inter- who regulates them. It's fascinating. Um, it's but not the FDA. It the is way. not the FDA. And so she talks about that. But it just your supplement companies like you, if you're taking vitamins from the grocery store, it doesn't matter if the shelves. And since I read this book, I have looked at the labels almost on every product I've bought lately and looked at how much fillers and things are added to these products that are affecting us in a negative way. That's what we talked a little bit about that. We talked about how she got started with Food Babe. We talked about the attacks that she has been under people, death threats, and all sorts of craziness. She talked about how she uncovered the truth that she intuitively knew but didn't have the evidence for about how big food is controlling the media. Mike shared a really interesting, disturbing story about some training he got at Philip Morris, which you're going to have to listen to the episode to hear. Uh, Vonnie shared about why she got acupuncture in her bum. Um, (laughs) That was kind of funny. And she talked about um, entrepreneurship and some of the things she has done to make her company really successful and some of the things she wished she had done. So it's an awesome episode. And I just adore Vonnie. And yeah. It was great. I mean, this, the foodbabe.com is a place to, if you eat food. I think it's just foodbabe.com. Yeah, foodbabe.com. If you eat food, then I would sign up to her newsletter. For sure. 
and probably everybody here eats food, right? Maybe. I don't know. Unless you're a breatharian. Wait, what is that? A breatharian is people who only breathe breathe and they, you know, they energetically nourish themselves through air. Really? Take it for what it is. I mean, I believe that that's possible if you get really aligned, but that is not what today's episode is about. No, but that would be, we should find a, if you're a breatharian (laughs) listening, please, let's have you on the Kate and Mike show. Enjoy the episode with Vani Hari. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you for coming. We're Thank so excited to have you. I know. I'm so excited to be with both of you. This is going to be really fun. So you and I already had a chance to connect as a Maven Masterclass during Origin. And that conversation, I just, again, want to reiterate, it's so rare that people in the public eye are willing to talk really frankly about what they're struggling with and be transparent. And it was, while that is not the interview we're doing today, although feel free to be as transparent as you want, because we always are, it was just so amazing. Like for those, you know, if you're not in origin, it was just, Vani shared some of the struggles around mothering and anxiety and, you know, just dealing with everything you've got on your plate. And it was beautiful. So I just want to start by saying thank you for that. Well, it was, it was one of my favorite conversations from this year because I don't get to talk about that enough. And I hope everyone goes and joins the program and listens to it because I hope that my story can help other moms like, you know, take the pressure off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of pressure, you've got this new book, Feeding You Lies, How to Unravel the Food Industry's Playbook and Reclaim Your Health. It's out now today on the day that this is going live. It's out today with Hay House. So we're, we're Hay House sisters and pressure. Like, can you just, for people who aren't familiar, might be shocked to know this. I, as I shared, I was not shocked to know how deeply in the pocket of the media and like big food is, but can you just talk about the pressure put upon the media by big food to essentially share misinformation? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to give the readers a little bit background about how I figured this all out is, you know, I started foodbabe.com back in 2011 to just share my story and share my recipes and how I healed my own body through real food and by figuring out what was in processed foods and eliminating it from my diet. And as a result of starting this website, I started to create a community that really cared about ingredients and cared about what they were eating. And I started to share investigations into different products and fast food chains and other things that I used to think were truly healthy, like Subway, Chick-fil-A, other big brand name fast food places, um, even Chipotle back then I thought was like, you know, the holy grail of healthy food. And when I really went and dug deep into the different things that they were serving, I found a totally different thing. And so I started to release these investigations on foodbabe.com. And I was still working in the corporate world, 
trying to maintain my other identity as a corporate citizen. I was really, you know, successful in my career as a consultant. And I just thought that this was just a side passion and really just, you know, something I was passionate about. I never thought in a million years I would make a career out of it. But eventually food companies started to call me and ask me for their advice and consultation on how they could improve based on the reaction that people were having by what I was writing on foodbabe.com. And so at that point, I kind of had to make a decision. I was taking off time, days off work to go travel to different food companies to consult with them. And it just didn't make any sense anymore. And so I was making zero money on foodbabe.com, but I still quit my corporate career cold turkey to try to pursue being an activist full time and realizing that I could truly change the food industry just by investigating, writing, and letting the community share these articles in a very viral way. And as soon as I quit my job, one of the first things I did was start a petition. And I started a petition against Kraft Macaroni and Cheese to remove artificial food dyes from Kraft Mac and Cheese. I found out that in the UK that Kraft Mac and Cheese, when you bought it overseas, it didn't contain these artificial food dyes. It contained uh, beta carotene and paprika to color the mac and cheese. And I wondered why. And so, you know, I knew that there were some, some studies regarding artificial food dyes that linked it to hyperactivity in children. There was, there were studies that showed that they could be contaminated with carcinogens, that they can cause allergies, different health issues, skin issues. And I found out that in the UK, in order to use an artificial food dye, you have to have a warning label that says may cause adverse effects on activity and attention in children. And Kraft, instead of putting the warning label on their product when they figured this out through, you know, the, the regulation in Europe, they said, you know what, we're not going to put that warning label on our product. Instead, we're going to change the ingredients for people overseas, but we're going to continue using the very risky, controversial additives here in the United States because our government here at the FDA doesn't care and, and doesn't look at uh, food chemicals in this rigor, in this fashion, and do doesn't have this warning label. So we're just going to continue to do that. And I felt like that was one of the most unethical, immoral policies of any food company. Once they know their products could be harming, especially children, that they could just continue to make their products a, a different way that's safer for other citizens across the globe and not their own American citizens. And so I started a petition and that petition went viral, had over 300,000 signatures or close to 400,000 signatures by the end of it. And I just realized that when I spend my entire effort and my own energy, like all of my energy on something, things can really start to happen. And it was just amazing to see what happened. Eventually, Kraft went to remove those artificial food dyes here in the United States, as well as many other products that uh, even they're creating jello without artificial food dye now. I mean, they're doing all sorts of things. So it's, it's really incredible what that petition started in terms of a movement to remove artificial food dyes from the American food supply. I not only did that with Kraft, but I started to do that with just about every investigation that was very personally touching to me. Like, for example, the only thing that I knew that was in my, in, like, I, I would go in my fridge and I, I'd know everything I bought, every ingredient I bought, I'd study it, I knew exactly what I was consuming, but there was one product I didn't, and it was the product that my husband was drinking almost every day, like, a beer, right? And and I just didn't know what was in that beer. And it was Newcastle. And I'm like, you know, everything I know about the food industry, I know they've screwed up beer. Like they've got to be putting some crappy stuff in beer, 
right? It's not just the basic ingredients that make beer. And I started to just investigate the beer industry and they wouldn't tell me, like they completely refused to be transparent. Uh, Miller Coors and Anheuser-Busch were separated at that point. Now they're together, which is just crazy. So there's like just one giant bajillion dollar company, you know, that that runs the beer industry here. Thank goodness for craft beer. But anyways, um, I'm not even a beer drinker, right? I don't even care about <laughs> beer, but it's my husband. I do not drink beer. But I started a petition to get Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors to release the ingredients in their beer for the first time in history. And the reason they're not, they're not required to do this is because it's so crazy. The alcohol industry is actually regulated by the Treasury Department and not the FDA. Yes. Yes. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Yeah. It's all, yeah. It's it's under the category with firearms? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. thank you for smoking movie, the cigarettes, the guns, and the be- alcohol. Yeah, that's right. Which is fascinating oh. because that makes so much sense. So it's like alcohol is now the way they tax it in bars. Oh, wow. The money trail. Holy yes. Smoke. Yes. It is absolutely maddening. And so they're not required to tell us what's in their food. So they can put even additional addictive additives, natural flavors and other things that create a situation in your brain for you to continue to consume a different kind of beer. I mean, like it's really sinister what's happening. And so I started this petition just to open up this Pandora's box. And it was shortly after that petition that I started to get some serious attention in terms of the power that we created online with this amazing community of people that not only care about their own health, but they're willing to share the petitions and share these ideas for the first time in social media, really, about what's really in our food. And I started to become the target because, you know, like Anheuser-Busch had no choice. I mean, there was, this petition was going so viral. Every news media was covering it. And they had no choice but to say, you know what, Miller Coors is our competitor. We're going to come out first. We're calling Bonnie Hari, the food babe, right away. We're going to invite her to our headquarters, and we're going to post this information online. I mean, it was just incredible. It was within 48 hours that they did this. I was on the front of the Financial Times in London. It was crazy. And so people were like, whoa, 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 who is this girl that's, like, busting up all this stuff? And I just became a target of the food industry, and I had – you know, I was very naive when I started blogging. I thought if I just do the right thing and share these ideas that obviously make common sense to the public, no one's going to get mad at me. But, you know, (laughs) one of my mentors said, he he said to me, he's like, you know, if you're going to waltz right into these people's world and just bust it all up, they're going to come after you, you know? And that wasn't the exact quote, but it was along those lines. And I said to myself, okay, all right, I get it. Okay, I'm going to have some haters, right? But it took a whole nother form. I mean, not only were hate groups created online, like several different groups on Facebook that were just literally there to watch my every single move, post my address of my house, post death threats and rape threats and anything to get me to just go away. And then on top of it, whenever I would be featured in mainstream media, they would go and just attack the comments section in like an astroturfing campaign. And I talk about this, this thing called astroturfing in the book and kind of show you how to recognize it. So when you're reading some information, you can actually see if the comments are like, you know, real people or fake like online groups that are like being like 
you know, controlled by a certain idea to like go and, and influence everyday average people. And it got so bad that, you know, I was labeled a pseudoscientist. I was labeled unscientific. I was labeled a fear monger in the public. I mean, even NPR and uh, their blog wrote this whole one-sided article without my input. They actually interviewed all of these different people who were not even scientists. I think one in there was an actual food scientist. All the other people were literally just paid by Monsanto and other chemical corporations to just take me down. And you know, the title of the post is why are scientists so fed up with food babe or whatever it was. I forget the exact title, but it was like why are scientists like think that Bonnie's a, a fear monger. And it wasn't even true it wasn't even true that they were all scientists like that were being interviewed in that post. And it, it was just, it was incredible. This kind of like messaging that they were trying to do to try to confuse the public about what I was saying. Thankfully people are smart and they can see through this, you know, they, a lot of people could see through this. And so they didn't let it prevent them from sharing the information. But the worst part was when people would share petitions or investigations after this kind of onslaught, you know, attack the messenger campaign started, they would go and they would shame the person sharing. So you could, you know, there's a face like on Facebook, for example, there's a feature you could see who shares the article. And so you can go to their page and go to their personal page. And I mean, not only were these trolls attacking me, they'd attract anyone who followed me, anyone who shared anything from me, anyone who would write about me, including people who would put me on the cover of magazines. And I talk about this in the book as well, where I was on the, on the cover of Experience Life magazine and, the, and Experience Life magazine's Amazon rating went from four and a half stars to two stars because of all the onslaught of fake reviews to take the magazine down after they had me on the cover. And this was all being directed by the food and chemical industry. And at the time, I could not prove it. So when I was getting interviewed and profiled in like the New York Times and other really big places like the Atlantic, you know, I would tell the journalists like, hey, these scientists you're interviewing against me to be the antagonist in this story they're being paid by the food industry or the chemical industry. You need to look into this. And they would go and they would ask the professor or the hired expert about this. And they go, no, of course not. I'm independent. I'm third party. Like, no, this is, you know, and it wasn't until the summer that I, you know, the summer that after my first book came out and hit the New York times bestselling list and time magazine named me one of the most influential people on the internet. It wasn't until that point where I had this just, I mean, I had one of the worst summers of my life where I was getting literally anywhere online that had the name Food Babe or Vani Hari or anything. It was immediately associated with something negative to the point where my Wikipedia page was completely taken over by hired industry editors to take anything that's positive about me, including like New York Times bestselling author or anything that, you know, any of the campaigns that we had won as petitions like the positive result out of anything that I have accomplished. They literally tried to remove that from my Wikipedia profile. And there was nothing I could do because it's one of the rules in Wikipedia. You can't edit your own Wikipedia page yeah. as a, you know, as the person it's, you know, it's a conglomerate of people. And I saw this happening and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to handle it. And the only thing that I could do was like, Thank goodness for Gabby Bernstein. Gabby Bernstein called me and she talked me off the ledge and Aww. she 
she were, she reminded me like why I'm doing this. Right. And she's like, you know, you're not, you know, it's this, your mission is bigger than yourself. Like, like remove Bonnie Hari from this equation. And the mission is so much bigger than you. You getting attacked is like, that's like separate from what you are trying to do. So you just need to remove yourself from that. And so I turned off Google alerts. I turned off any type of comments that I was receiving online. I hired a Facebook moderator. I didn't care if the media was saying something nice or negative about me, no matter what was happening, it wasn't going to control my contribution of what I wanted to do in my daily work, in my daily life. And I really focused on the bigger mission at hand, which was to focus on the willing, the people who are willing to change, the people who see these lies happening in the food industry and want to know the truth and see that processed foods are really, truly bad for them and they want a way out. And so I started to focus on that. And during this time, there was this incredible nonprofit organization created called U.S. Right to Know, and they started to do something that was completely, you know, unheard of in terms of in the food and chemical industry. They started to get public records on all of these hired experts that worked at public universities to see if they were, in fact, working with the industry. And they started to uncover that a lot of the experts that were talking out about me were in fact working with the industry. And so I started to submit my own FOIA requests on every single expert that said something negative about me in the industry and just an entire Pandora's box started to open up about what was really happening behind the scenes, how the food industry hires these third-party independent experts that look independent, but they're really being paid and controlled and manipulated behind the scenes by the chemical industry. And a lot of times ghostwriting things for these experts that is then shown on all of these mass media type outlets like the USA Today, health magazines. I mean, everything, like I would say like almost every media outlet is guilty for this and it's not their fault because a lot of these independent experts look independent and it's easy to fall victim to it and fall for it and I, I mean even my own like it's you know I, I think back to this conversation I had with like we had this writer in Charlotte who has written for our Charlotte Observer newspaper forever and she came to my house and she's written about a lot of different campaigns but she wanted to do a profile of me and this was several years ago and she sat down in my house and she said Bonnie you know we're gonna have a really tough conversation today and I'm like okay let's have a tough conversation and she goes you know there's this third part you know there's this independent university professor of food science in Canada who says that you don't know what you're talking about and that you are overblowing the risks of these chemicals. And I looked at her, I was like, that guy has a metachemical he doesn't like. That's all I know about him, you know? <laughs> and, and I couldn't prove it at the time uh, that this guy was getting paid by the chemical industry, but then because of all of these attacks and everything that happened to me when I was trying to get this information out, just the truth out and being a part of this campaign, I realized I had to FOIA him, you know, and when I did, I mean, the emails that I got, the quotes are in this book. It is absolutely jarring to see how incestuous the relationship is between independent universities and the industry. 
It's really sick. And just to, for those who don't know, a FOIA is the Freedom of Information Act. So any of us, can you tell us how that works? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's really actually very easy. What can we find out? It's so easy. You literally, I mean, you, and I can give you, anyone who wants to do this, I can give you the template that I use. But basically, it's a basic form that you submit to the university, the head of the university, and you probably, I think you see like their communications lead too. Mm -hmm in their tech department, if you can. And, and then you tell them what record search you want, what key items. So, you know, I did Food Babe, Bonnie Hari. I did all of the big major food industry players, the Coca-Colas, the Pepsis, the Monsantos, everything, McDonald's, you know, everything. And saw what came back. Like, why are these university professors getting emails from Monsanto about me speaking at their university. Like, whoa, like this is crazy, you know? So that's basically what I did. And then I had to go through thousands and thousands of these records and comb through them and read through them and put all the dots together. And then you submit even additional ones once you realize that, wait a minute, there's all of these other players involved. Well, I need to go to their universities and see what they're doing. And U.S. Right to Know has just been this, you know, such an incredible mentor to me to help me with this process because it's very daunting, the amount of documents that you get and what you have to like be able to understand. And a lot of these experts are actually being run through front groups. And I, I go through what a front group is in the book and, and how the industry uses them. And they look like third party, very friendly organizations. They have long fancy names like the American Council for Science and Health. And you think that they're just there to like protect the public, but really they're being funded by the food and chemical industry. And a lot of times that funding's being hidden and not disclosed. And they're given a platform, a media platform to basically defend anything the corporation does, no matter if it's good or bad. Yeah. Hmm. That's so scary. And so now that this book is out, like, <laughs> I mean, what do you think is going <laughs> to happen with these people that you wrote about that you, you, you know, came out with the truth in the book, the emails, the text from the emails is right there that you received. What do you think is going to happen now? You know, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, the thing is, is I feel like I've already been through it all in terms of the worst it can get. And I've, I've like, I have this invisible barrier around me now and I feel very protected because, you know, the reason I felt like this book need to be written is because the first book was all about the chemicals and the ingredients and how to remove them from your diet and try to, you know, it was a 21 day plan on how to like really become processed food free or processed food, like an expert at processed food. This book is about all the things that you see in the media that you think are true, that are actually not true. And all of the lies the food industry uses on packaging, on labeling, tricks that they use to continue to sell us ingredients that are banned, using different organizations to make it look like their food is healthy, using 
the FDA even in the, in, in the government to really help perpetuate their ideas or to take the onus off of them if they're the ones causing obesity. And a great example of that is Coca-Cola, you know, working with the government and front groups to continue to tell us that, you know, ex we need to exercise instead of looking at our soda consumption and our sugar consumption. And I really take the reader through all the different lies that are happening within the food industry so that you become your own health investigator. And so you can say, you know, when you see a headline for something you should eat, or you see a product that's really popular, that you can like look beyond the BS that's on the label. You can look beyond the marketing and see, is this truly something I need to be consuming? Is this a, a new fad diet that is really going to truly make me healthy for life? Or is it just another fad diet? And how to eat for the rest of your life so that it's just not complicated anymore. Because I truly believe that nutrition is not complicated. I felt like we've totally made it too complicated. And the people who have made it the most complicated are the food scientists that have created these chemicals in our food supply. You know, 99% of the food chemicals that have been invented in the last 50 years have been invented for just one sole purpose. And that's to improve the bottom line of the food industry and not improve our health. And if they're not there to improve our health and our nutrition, do we really need to be eating them? And so really this, this book is going to make you just the master investigator. And it was a book that I felt like I needed to share all of these stories of what happened to me and the truth behind it, because I wanted people to recognize that in order to get this information out, it is very, very hard, first of all, and this is information that you're not going to see in traditional media because media is being bought and paid for by the food industry in a lot of cases. And, it, you know, what's interesting, too, is, you know, I don't know if I will get on any national media with this book. So I'm really relying on people like you, Kate, and Mike, and others that are in this space that care about the truth and want people to wake up and know about what's happening behind the scenes because this is stuff that... You know, I'm outing everybody. So I think it's just going to be so critical for people. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, get this book. If you like it, buy a copy for a friend, tell people, share your copy, donate your copy after you read it to the library so other people can read it. I really want this to end. And, and the only way that we're going to, to really shine a light on what's happening is to, to educate people about what, what's going on. Hmm. Yeah. So I, have you talked to anyone? So I used to work at Philip Morris. I used to live in Concord right down the street from you. He was totally and part of the evil I was empire. Part of, yeah, I was part of the evil empire. So when they shut the plant down in Concord, I lost my job. So, Which was such a blessing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was How looking, long ago was that? Uh, I worked there from 2006 to 2010. Yeah, I left and went on a whole other journey. So when I started there... Our training, we had to go to Richmond, Virginia, where the headquarters was. This is when Kraft was still owned by Philip Morris before they split off and created separate entities. But our training was we had to go sit in a media room. At the time, I was like, oh, this is just part of business. But now after I left there, of course, now I've thought about this. They had actors come in and play an older gentleman, let's say that lost his parents to smoking cigarettes. And they taught us how to respond to like how to listen to this customer 
that had this experience with cigarettes and how we, how us not to get affected. And they had people that were seriously, very, yeah, they had people that were very angry that would come and be like, you killed my grandmother. You killed my wife, you know, as us as employees of working at Philip Morris. And I was like, Oh, this is good training. You know, all this stuff. Cause this happened you hear in the media. And I was like, wow. But it's like, I want my, I'm wondering like, do employees of these companies, like these big food companies, are they going through this public PR training as well? Because it just, to me at that time, thinking back to be like, I also had the, I was like, well, cause I also used to smoke and then I just quit and I used to do other things and just quit. And so I was like, people can just quit. But I do know because cigarettes, they've been lying and covering it up. So that's a whole nother thing. And I think the food industry is going through the cycle now that cigarettes did. But is this, have you found in your research, this happening inside of the big food as well? I have, and one of the biggest culprits of this is Monsanto, actually. You know, they have a tight-knit group of people working within Monsanto that are so pro-GMO, above and beyond everything, that no negativity about GMOs can even come out of that place. And they even have a program that is called Leave No Comment Unanswered. So if you work for Monsanto or you see a GMO comment that is negative about GMOs or Roundup, their main product, which has glyphosate that's linked to cancer, out in the public, you're supposed to go and respond back in a positive way to try to change that person's opinion. Wow. The brainwashing is really scary. I can't, I'm, I'm so shocked that part of your corporate training was in how to not have empathy for customers. It was, it was how to have empathy, but not be like affected. But to not be it's, affected it's, is to not have no, empathy. It's, it's always to protect the company, right? Like that's what the training is about. It's always to protect the company. Right. I mean, this happens in like, we saw, we just saw Vice last weekend. It's the same thing that happens in politics with lobbyists, all this. Well, that's right. what I was thinking about reading your yeah. book the whole time was thinking about our political landscape and how it's just, and also big pharma and how we just cannot take anything at face value. And, you know, we just have to look at the sources and dig deeper and mm-hmm. then deeper and then deeper. And then my second question would be, what about, so when Michelle Obama started, when the Obama presidency started, she was all about helping with this with kids, nutrition, kids, then it switched to exercise. Uh-huh. So have you seen anything that was like an influence to me? I'm like, okay, they got in there, the money, it was like, we got to stop talking about the food, Michelle. Of course. Yeah, so that was totally influenced by Coca-Cola and the other big food uh, industry folks. And actually there's a, a documentary called Fed Up where they yeah. go in deep in, into the evidence of what actually happened there. And you know, I think Michelle Obama had a totally different vision when she started and just, you know, she was hand tied by the industry and couldn't get done what she really wanted to get done. And I mean, I think she had a tremendous impact. She's actually, I'd say if there's anyone that I look up to most, it's probably her. Um, Mm. She was an incredible woman. She actually, I met her many times. I was a delegate actually for Obama, both in 2008 and 2012. And during the time where I was actually promoting or, or, educating people about Barack Obama in 2008. And this was before anyone, like a lot of people even knew a black person, you know, of color was running for presidency. I was like literally knocking on doors of different neighborhoods in South Carolina uh, because that was one of the 
you know, premier primary states that we had to win in order to win the, the nomination for presidency back then. And, and it was just an exciting time to be involved in that campaign. But I got to spend a lot of time with Michelle Obama, which was really cool. And she actually convinced me not to become a lawyer which I thought was just great because then I became the food babe. It was you great. You kind of are so. a lawyer. <laughs> what do you say? You kind of are a lawyer. I mean, you're, I mean, but you know, it's just she goes. She just kind of looked at me and she says, "Who's going to pay for that?" And I was like, "Well, I'm going to have to pay for it." She's like, "No, no, I'm I still paying her. my loans." Like, no, you don't need to be a lawyer. And it was just this beautiful little, you know, a small conversation that I had with her on the on the trail. She came to speak with a small group of women at a little school. I was actually in Concord. And anyways, I just thank her for that. So if you're listening, Michelle Obama, thank you. I mean, she definitely listens to the Kate and Mike show. If you are, we'd love love to have you on. It's, you know. Definitely. I mean, guaranteed she listens. That's a really beautiful story. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. That is amazing. How's this been, you know, because now you're a new mom, right? And well, I guess what, it's been two years? Is it two years? Yeah. She just turned two. (laughs) How is this, how has becoming a mom changed like the view for what you've been, the business that you've created? Has it changed? Has it not changed? So, so for, you know, right after I had Harley, I did not like the spunk and the intensity definitely died down because my brain changed and I became just mom and nurturer and, cuddler and just love that child so much that I was giving her just so much love that it was hard to really focus on anything in terms of conflict, right? Because this area, there's just so much conflict. And that was one of the reasons why I couldn't finish this book either. And thank goodness, you know, I didn't finish it earlier because I was able to wait and get actually a ton more documentation and be able to research and read through it through the last two years or so because I just finished we finally finished this book at the end of September. So yeah, so it, you know, it took most of last year to finish and I needed that, you know, at least I think I feel like a year with Harley until she turned one that I was like kind of getting my groove back. And it's definitely made me softer as an activist. I'm not so like, I don't feel like I'm as in your face anymore. I think I've softened because of that. And I'm sure the food industry, if you're listening to this, are very happy about that. But I'll have to tell you, when Harley goes to school, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Mamas are the fiercest out there. We know that. It might seem soft, but it's fierce. Yeah, but I think when, yeah. But to talk about school, like, you know, that's my next thing is like, what are we going to do about school and school food? Because uh, was it you that asked me if I could, what, someone asked me recently if I could wave a magic wand and just fix one thing. Oh, what a great question. It, it was a great, it was not you actually, it was somebody else. And um, so, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and fix one thing, it would be to have healthy, real food for all children Absolutely. in schools. Like if I could have anything. And, and I think that's going to be, you know, that's going to be my fight coming up once I'm in this situation with Harley. Absolutely. You know, the other day, Penelope goes to daycare and we send her with her own food. But every now and again, you know, they have something. And she told us when she got home that she had had animal crackers and goldfish. And so we don't have those things at home. And I swear to you, 
she was acting like she was possessed. Mm-hmm. I mean, she screamed at bedtime like she was, you know, like she was possessed for over an hour. I had to block the door with yeah. my physical body and she was clawing at the door, screaming uncontrollably. I mean, it was like out of a horror movie. And we have, Penelope is a sensitive little bunny. She has a lot of allergies and she's just one of those kids that like you put something in her body and she just, she can't, can't handle it. And I was like, that is insane because most parents would never think, oh, like they, I think that most parents probably think like maybe goldfish isn't the best choice, but they're not thinking it's the worst choice. Mm-hmm. Same with animal crackers, right? We don't give our kids those sorts of things because I was raised as like hyper, hyper, hyper. I mean, like macrobiotic, vegan, like not, I mean, craziness. <laughs> so I just don't buy that for my kids. But I had to go in the next day and I was like, listen, you cannot give my daughter anything that is not packed in her lunchbox. I know she's not technically allergic to it, but her behavior, I mean, it was just so dramatic. And so I think of her as this sensitive little bunny, but then what about the kids who are hardier? What is that doing inside their systems that you can't see on the outside like you can with Penelope, but on the inside? So I'm just, I'm really happy that you're going to be banging that drum and I'll do whatever I can to support that. Thank you. It's a really big deal. So obviously your message, you know, it's compelling, right? Because there's this aspect of controversy. There's people, it's a movement, it's activism. There's people who want to get behind it. There's your food babe army supporting this work. But I'd love to know from a business perspective, I was first introduced to your work, seeing you on Marie TV with uh, my friend Marie Forleo. I imagine she's a friend of yours as well. (laughs) And, and, uh, I'm wondering, what did you learn from getting started? Okay, so you were in corporate as a consultant, but what have been some of the key elements from a business standpoint? Because we have mostly entrepreneurs who listen to our show that were really key in being able to get your message out there in a powerful way. What were some of the things you put in place early on? So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I did early, early on is when I started Food Babe, it was like me and my 20 friends and my mom that read Food Babe, right? It was like nobody. And even when some of my pieces were going viral, no one really were like my core base. It was just, it was just, I happened to write about, you know, a popular fast food chain and people liked eating it. So people just saw the article and Facebook back then allowed a lot of things to go viral. They don't do that anymore, but you know, they filter out a lot of this content. So it's hard to get it out there now, but back then it was really kind of easy because you know, people would just share it. And one of the things that I did early on that helped is I would guest post on blogs that were bigger than mine. And, you know, I owe a lot of credit to Lisa at 100 Days of Real Food. She had a voracious following, just an amazing following. And she allowed me like once a month to do a guest post on there. And, you know, I would work countless hours on that guest post and I would make it the best I could possibly make it. So people saw the value and would come over to Food Babe and sign up for my email list. And so that was one of the ways that I was able to really like get the, the eyeballs on someone, a new up and coming person that literally I had never been on social media. I had never been on anything before I started Food Babe. So I was like starting from scratch. I took my personal email uh, contacts 
including my husband's friends, which to this day he's mad about, but I took his friends and sent my first email newsletter out to like all of them. You know, when, once I figured out I needed an email list, this was many, many months after I started the blog too. So, and, and I think some of those people are still readers, which is really cool, but, but I spam them, you know, yeah. and <laughs> I did, I spammed. I mean, what else, what do you call that? So, uh, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, that's how Facebook got started. So, okay. So first it was guest blogging. Second was spamming. Spam These are good tips. <laughs> And your partners. But yeah. that's how I started yeah, too. I sent an email to all my friends and family, everybody I knew. And I said, hey, I'm starting this blog. Here's the link to join the list. And so it was slightly different, but essentially the same thing. You and asked that, for permission. That is how I started yeah. my email list. And you same thing. Some of those people still read. Yeah. And, it's great. yeah. and then is there anything that you wished you had set up differently or any way you wish you had started anything differently that if you could go back? Yes. So one of the things that I was really nervous about doing, and I think this just came from a place of like security and scarcity. When I quit my job, you know, I was like a six figure income, you know, 401k health insurance, everything. So when I quit that completely and was making literally zero money on food, babe, I was like really nervous about trying to make a living doing this. And eventually what I did was I started uh, what people were asking for. I gave them the product that they were asking for, which is they were like, hey, we want meal plans. Like, what do we eat every single week? The recipes, the shopping list, all of that. We want you to create it and give it to us. And I was like, uh, of course, you know, of course I'll do that. And so I spent six months developing that program with a nutritionist and it's still live on the site today and we still use it and we have amazing members of that program. But one of the things that I didn't do, which I kind of wish I did do was to take some of that money that I got from that program, instead of just squirreling it away because I'm nervous about not having a job, I wish I'd taken more money of that and invested it and grown it bigger than what it could be today. Like I wish I would have spent the time to hire more developers and do all the things that I needed to do to just like solidify that and like, and put in all the processes in place that are like get customer feedback, see how we can improve. How can, you know, we make this better. You know, I haven't done a lot of that because I feel like I'm still like this activist organization just flying by the seat of my pants. And now by starting Truvani, which is my product company and seeing like real, real entrepreneurs run that company, you know, like my partners are real entrepreneurs. They really know what they're doing, you know, seeing how they operate. I'm like, Oh, I've just learned so much and stuff that I should have done on food babe that I didn't do. And so now, you know, I have, two companies that like I have to figure out, but it's been such a, a wild ride and very challenging in itself as well. So, but the good news is you have two companies that serve the same customer. Yeah, That's right. Right. Yeah. So that's something that we see a lot is somebody will be like, Oh, I have this Etsy shop that sells, you know, knitting stuff. And then, Oh, and then I'm also, you know, a coach for startups. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you're streamlined. You're streamlined yeah. to a large extent. What has been the, I completely understand the inspiration to start Truvani. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't know your specific, but especially the supplement industry and 
you know, that's how I actually started. When I left Philip Morris, I started in the, the network marketing space with a nutrition company. And that's, I did a 180. That's how we met. And that's how we met. But so we were very, it was, we interviewed Derek on, from socialtriggers.com, Derek Halpern on our podcast. And he talked about, he's like, do you know the bad stuff in supplements and like the, there's no clarity in the ingredients and the products. I'm like, yeah, dude. He was giving yeah. us the rundown. It was the great. Rundown. I was, was like, was we great. knew, we did, we knew. <laughs> what is the challenge of going from kind of an activist online info product to that you've experienced now with this physical, I mean, you're shipping, which we have the products here and they've been delicious. We and, love them. Thank you. Um, thank you. So what has, have you seen that's like, wow, I didn't expect this. Yeah. So one of the things that happened when we were, you know, one of the, okay. So the first product I want to create was a turmeric supplement because it was a product that I was taking every single day. It has helped me tremendously throughout the years in terms of inflammation in my body. I had a tailbone injury where literally a doctor told me the only solution was to remove my tailbone. And I told him to screw off and got acupuncture right in my butthole. I mean, I can't even... <laughs> tell you what I had to do, but I started taking turmeric and I got better, you know? <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> this is a true story. I know, you're laughing, I know. But it's true. And anyways, and you know, I don't think I'm even allowed to say what I just said, but regardless, turmeric has just helped me tremendously throughout my life. And it is something that I was taking. And then this company, one of the largest, I'll just say it, Procter & Gamble, largest chemical companies in the world bought my supplement that I was taking and then changed the ingredients. And so I started to see all these fillers in it. And I just was like, Oh, I cannot even believe this. And so that was the first thing I wanted to create was a turmeric supplement I could trust. And also we saw that a lot of turmeric out there was being contaminated with heavy metals. And I was like, you know, how can we create a company that tests for these other hidden substances that consumers don't even know about that's contaminating their food and how do we make it even healthier than just what even is on the label and so I was talking to Derek about this we've been friends forever forever and you know we decided hey let's start this company and and it's it's you know I have another partner too Devin and we just decided to start with this and see how it goes and the response was amazing. And it was just incredible to see the trust that people had in me to create products because they realized just my level of standards in terms of what I will put in my body. And so then the challenge was, I really want a protein powder without a hundred ingredients and a bunch of fillers and stevia and other things that I just don't want to put in my body every single day. I want the protein, but I don't want all the other stuff. And so the other challenge was like, how do we come up with a vegan protein that does this? Well, we started looking at pea protein and we went through 52 failed tests for lead for pea protein. It was just contaminated. And unfortunately, I mean, this was organic pea protein too. So uh, we found that a lot of the pea protein is being the way it, the supply chain handles it. It's being contaminated with conventional. And so we had to find, I mean, it took us, I think six months to find a supplier who was able to pass all of our tests, our rigorous tests. And so, and so that I could feel good about like having that in my household. And then we took it even a step further and said, you know what, we're not going to put the gar gum and the carrageenan and the xanthan gum and the maltodextrin and all these other additives in there either. Like those serve like zero purpose to you when you're putting it in a smoothie, right? You just want it to 
mix well and tastes good. And you know what? Real food tastes really good to me. So we flavored it with real vanilla bean instead of natural flavor vanilla, you know, that you'll see in a lot of products. And so we did the unthinkable and really we have created the best chocolate and vanilla plant-based protein powder on the market. And I'm just incredibly proud that we were able to do it. Now we want to eventually go beyond supplements and you know that is the goal but you know we are a small company we just started we got to get these you know products into everybody's hands and and that's the goal this year so amazing well i mean your passion is incredible obviously you are a woman who believes in what you're doing and and it just it radiates so thank you for your activism and thank you for your leadership in this for all of us mike and i are totally on your team so anything you need, please reach out. And everybody listening, get your book, Feeding You Lies. And also, is it truvani.com? Yes. For mm-hmm. the best chocolate and vanilla protein powder on the planet. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thank you, Vani. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey there, if you're interested in growing your existing online business or starting a business online or taking your existing business online, then head over to katenorthrop.com forward slash b-school. The resources there are only up for the month of February and you don't want to miss out because this only comes around once a year. katenorthrop.com forward slash b-school.